Welcome to Brave Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We're in a series on Sundays going through the Gospel of Mark. We believe the kind of church Jesus came to start is more than a crowd. It's friends on a mission living life together. Another great way to connect further is through social media, where there is content designed to inspire and inform you. Here's this week's talk. Hello, Brave Church. How's everyone this morning? On this 1st of July. I like that. Uh, yeah, it's uh, great to be here. I'm honored uh, to be invited back for a pastor to, to speak somewhere a second time is a big deal. All right? First time is not as important. The second time is. So I'm, I'm honored to be back. Uh, some of you remember me uh, when I came uh, last June and uh, I was uh, leading uh, just a thriving church community in Las Vegas and uh, we were seeing God do incredible things, but uh, through just a, an amazing set of events, God began stirring my wife and I's heart about a transition coming for our lives and we didn't really know what that meant and uh, in December, I just felt this Holy Spirit nudge to call Pastor Darren, and he's been a great friend of mine for many years, and uh, we've done a lot of uh, uh, ministry together, and I just was like, okay, I need somebody to speak in my life, because see, you got to understand as a human, we all need another person to be speaking into our life in seasons of our life, and, and even though I'm a pastor, I needed somebody in that moment to speak into my life, and so I listened to the nudge, I called Darren, he ended up praying for me, and things that we were, my wife and I were going through, and, and just with our family and just you know, envisioning what God was doing in our future. Uh, and long story short, uh, this anointed prayer, just, I mean, I was you know, crying. It was just powerful. Before I hung up, he said, hey, I've been leading a church uh, in Thousand Oaks in addition to the church in San Ramon, which I, I had heard about. I'm like, how are you even doing that? And he explained to me, and some of you remember this, for a year and a half, your pastor did this. He would, he would preach in the morning for you guys, go to the airport, fly down to Thousand Oaks and do a Sunday PM service for them. How many remember your pastor doing that? And you're like, wow, you go, boy. And, and he went as, as, as long as he could. So he, while he had me on the phone, he said, hey, I am going through a transition myself, and we're praying for a pastor to take over this new church campus that we began in Thousand Oaks, and maybe God led you to call me because you're supposed to be the guy, and I was like, whoa, I don't even know where Thousand Oaks is. I've, I've, I've heard about it, and so he invited me to speak to this amazing community, uh, and uh, John and Carol are here from Thousand Oaks this morning, coincidentally, and, and so uh, we went down there, we spoke, met some great people, but afterwards I was like, Darren, you know, thanks, but no thanks. We got a church. I mean, I don't want to start over again. And, you know, we have 2,500 people at the Vegas church. We've seen that grow and things happen. I just don't really have a desire to start over. So we kind of forgot about it. I spoke to you guys in June. God used that as just this launching pad for these miracles that started happening where Thousand Oaks started popping up everywhere. And I knew God was trying to get my attention. And so in October, we had a a, a meetup, and this is right after the Las Vegas shootings, if you can remember that happened on October 1st. And so I was already a mess with that. Darren's like, are you okay to do this meet and greet to see if you want to proceed forward? I said, absolutely. We had 40 people show up. 
And then I said, in two weeks, we're going to start these weekly life groups just to explore. You guys can get to know us. We can get to know you. We'll just kind of date each other. And they love that. And then and two weeks later, we had our first life group. We had over 40 show up again. And I told my wife, I said, this is happening. We are doing a new church. And since then, uh, we have transitioned the Las Vegas church over to my associate pastor. And so we are going for it. And so September of this year, we're launching Atmosphere Church which is, is really, honestly, Darren, you may not agree with me on this, but we were partners before, but I think in a way, Brave Church has now become a parent of a baby church. And this is weird. Just stay with me, okay? Some of you ladies that, you know, you got pregnant and you're wondering, like, how do I calculate my due date? There's apps that you can do that. And, and so I was thinking about, like, when I spoke in February and then we launched in October, I downloaded an app for, for like pregnancy chart. And it said, it said, you know, if you, if you conceived on, uh, February 11th, your due date should be November 1st, but your baby can come as early as October 25th. And we had our first live group on October 26th. I told Tara, I go, Tara, we got pregnant with the church on the first date. And now here we are, and so uh, I, I just want to invite you in. Uh, we have a promo video we made especially for you guys because you guys are a big part of our story launching this new life-giving church in Thousand Oaks. Go, so go ahead and watch this video. So that's it. So uh, if you can go, if you're a social media person, you could go to atmosphere.church. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, I just uh, love to see um, Brave Church be more and more a part of what God is doing uh, in Thousand Oaks, because really it started, Pastor Darren and Tracy, it started with you guys. And uh, it's it's awesome to be able to take the baton and and now take it uh, to the place that God always envisioned uh, Thousand Oaks to be. So uh, again, I'm very grateful to be here this morning. Um, I want to pray and I want to talk to you guys that have families because here's the truth, whether you're a single uh, or a married, you have a family, all right? So this is going to speak to everybody this morning. So I want to pray and we're going to get into uh, God's word in Ephesians chapter six, but let me pray. Father, I thank you just for everything that you're doing through Brave Church, God, even the birthing of a new church in Thousand Oaks. And I'm so grateful to be a part of this family. I'm so grateful, God, for how you're gonna use this time that we have together to speak directly into every single family that showed up. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would just show us things we would otherwise never see. And we thank you in advance for how you're gonna do that. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, I, I just have to start off by telling you a little bit about my upbringing. I came from a, a large family. I, I had three, uh, or two brothers and three sisters. We were the original Brady Bunch, all right? How many remember that show? Uh, I have a picture on the, the screens there to show you. Uh, I was the youngest, so I was the favorite, but I was also the one that was most despised, all right, because the baby normally is. And I'm rocking a suit I think that you could find in a clothing store for a lot of money right now because that, that was something else. But I was the baby, and uh, so our family was not a church-going family. Uh, we went twice a year. We went on Christmas and Easter. That was about the, the, uh, um, the, the length of our, our faith. And 
uh, it wasn't until later on that we really started becoming involved with church. But uh, growing up, I mean, we put the fun and dysfunction. I mean, we, we had fights all the time. That's how my brothers and sisters and I, we, we, we actually got along together by fighting each other. And uh, that was just how we did family. And uh, sometimes it got pretty violent and police would be called out. And one particular time, I was eight years old. I remember this. My mom took our dog to the vet. My dad was at work and she left my older brother and sister in charge. And so they decided that they were going to have a wrestling match between me and my other sister that was about two years uh, older than me. And so they put us like in this little WWF thing and, and we started wrestling with each other and they were all laughing and stuff. But then it got serious because because uh, I, I felt like my sister hurt me. So I started hurting her and then got real. And then my older sister got upset at my older brother and she poured milk on him. And so then my brother chased her in her bedroom. She locked the door and he's like, I'm going to kill you. And then she's on the phone calling 911 saying, my brother's going to kill me. So my mom comes home from the veterinarian. There's four police officers in the front of our house. And here we are, me and my brothers are in the backyard being questioned by the police while other police are are talking to my sisters. And my mom's like, I left you for 10 minutes. She never did that ever again. All that to say that I don't know if you can relate to my upbringing. I don't know if that looks anything like your family or, or it looked like the family that you grew up with. But the, the reality is that all families have things that they struggle with, that they work through. Uh, and, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. Now, fast forward, I have my own family now. I have a picture of them just because we're showing pictures. And this is a selfie that I took last summer as my wife and I were given a trip to Maui to renew our vows of being married 25 years. So, so that was us on the beach of Maui. So if you don't think pastors should go to Maui, then I don't know what to tell you. All right. Um, but I saved up for that trip and that was a trip of a lifetime. And, and, uh, even though I have a beautiful family and I'm a pastor, I, I mean, our family still has things. And so I don't want you guys feeling like you're abnormal. If you have problems in your family, you're actually normal. And as we're going to get into a Bible study this morning, what I want to show you is that as, as people of faith, that your family is actually more vulnerable to spiritual attacks than you would be maybe if you weren't serving God. And, and I believe the church needs to talk more about spiritual warfare than we're doing because it is a reality for all of us that when we enter into a relationship with God, we are actually getting ourselves into a situation where we have some opposition coming against our life. And that's our text this morning in Ephesians chapter 6. If you didn't get a handout when you came in, you could follow along in your notes. Uh, just raise your hand and one of our ushers will find you and, and get you uh, uh, a little description here. But the, the text I want to read... I'm going to read from the message uh, version of uh, this text because I just think it's so powerful. It says, God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple hours. This is for keeps. 
a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Now, this is a, a really popular uh, text that that you may have read before, you may have heard sermons about before, but what I find very interesting is how it ties into family. Because right before the Apostle Paul, when he's writing this to the Ephesian church, he's talking about how husbands ought to love their wives. He's talking about how wives ought to respect their husbands. He mentions how children, how to honor their parents and how parents uh, ought to raise their kids. And, and it's, a, it's kind of almost like a family conversation. And then he switches gears and he starts talking about spiritual warfare. And I think he's on the same trend of, of uh, conversation here. He's on the same trend of, of something that is tied together. It's flowing together because he realizes what I realize is family is under assault. And family has always been under assault. This isn't new to our culture. It's not because the culture that we're living in. Family has always been under assault. If you go back to the very beginning of our Bibles in the book of Genesis, we see that God creates man and then he creates you know, Eve, the woman, and then they have kids. Second generation, a brother is murdering another brother. Family has always been under attack. And the, the reason I believe is because it is the best picture of how we are to relate with God. We are to call God our father. We are called the children of God. And so what more effective way is there than to come against the character of God himself than to try to undo the very thing that best represents his nature, the family unit. And so this is why it's such an important conversation to have because every family is going to go through it. Every believer is, is kind of geared up for this. I like this quote by a, an 1800s uh, theologian named J.C. Ryle. He says, this talking about spiritual warfare. He says, you are evidently no friend of Satan. Like the kings of this world, he wars not against his own subjects. The very fact that he assaults you should fill your mind with hope. Take comfort. The child of God has two great marks about him. He may be known by his inward warfare as well as by his inward peace. In other words, if you feel like your family is under assault, if you feel like your marriage is, is just being attacked, take that as a compliment because that means there is a legacy in your future. There are great things that God desires to do through you and for you and your family and that the enemy is trying to come in and steal all of that away from you and away from your children. It goes on in 1 Peter it says this it says stay alert watch out for your great enemy the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I like how the message reads. It says, keep a cool head, stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Uh, it is, this is very true. Last week I was in Africa and uh, I, I knew I would be coming and speaking to you guys uh, this week. But I, when I was in Africa, we did a lot of humanitarian efforts. Uh, we took care of uh, about three different schools that we've adopted over the last 10 years with our Vegas campus. And it was an amazing trip. But the last two days, we were able to take a safari. 
Now, I'm sure you guys have all seen the nature shows, right? And the lion comes out and eats the zebra, whatever. So we're in a safari vehicle, and I, I have never seen lions in the wild before, right? So we're in the safari vehicle, and we're just cruising around. I mean, there's nothing really. And then the vehicle stops, and out of the bushes, right to the right of our vehicle, come seven lions, a whole pride of lions, just walking out just like they're cool as can be. Like, hey, this is like a nice afternoon for a stroll. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And the, and the guy killed the Jeep. I'm like, what happens if the Jeep doesn't start? I, I'm like freaking out. My son's with me. And the guy's like, no, just as long as you don't stand up. We th- they think like we're a big elephant. And some girl in our Jeep tried to stand up, take a picture. I'm like, you sit down right now. No pictures for you. And we just watched these lions. And I started thinking about this passage. It's like, what were to happen if before those lions came out of that bush, I were to get out of that safari jeep and say, you know what? I just feel like a, you know, I need to work off my breakfast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do like a mile run real quick. You know, I'll be right back, driver. Like, and I'm running and taking a little jog. And I go right into the bush and see these seven lions. I mean, this is the reality. What Peter's saying for, is for all of our lives. He's saying, you have to stay alert. Your family is always in danger. You're always in danger. And I went on this trip, honestly, and we prayed for this trip. God did miracles on this trip. Uh, we, we saw people get healed miraculously on this trip. It was amazing. But I kept waiting for the shoe to drop. Like every trip that we've taken on missions, like there's something that happens and goes wrong and nothing went wrong. And, and a friend of mine is like, hey, like everything has worked out on this trip. I go, I know, but don't say that. The trip is not over yet. Let's, let's not jinx anything, right? Let's just go. But the whole trip happened. Nothing happened wrong. And so I get home and I'm like, man, this is so good. But what I didn't expect is that I would get home and have the biggest fight I've had with my wife in probably 10 years. And it was, it was horrible. Say, pastors fight with their wives? Yes, it happens, right? Not, not Darren and Tracy, right? They don't. But, but we did. And it was tough. I was tired. It's like 20 hour flight there. And I'm like, man, this is the last thing I need. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say, hey, stay alert. The reason he wanted to take me out when I got home with my wife is because that's the foundation of my life. If he messes with me on a missions trip, that's a short-term issue. If he messes with my marriage, that's a long-term plan that he can use to completely disqualify me from doing the very things that God wants me to do in my life. And I said, that just makes sense. If I'm the devil, I'm not attacking me while I'm on the trip. I'm attacking me when I get home with my family. So I said, babe, I need to pray right now. And I prayed over her. I prayed over our marriage. And I'm telling you, man, it was the best night ever. I'm just going to leave it there, all right? Um, (laughs) Just saying. But can I just say something? That, That incredible families don't happen by accident. They happen by purpose. They don't happen by accident. There are too many things working against you in your family for you to have the family that you desire to have. And more importantly, the family that God desires you to have. You got to be purposeful in order to do it. And the first thing you need to understand is there is an enemy after you and he's very real and he wants to see you and your family fail. 
He doesn't want to see your marriage succeed. He wants to see it fail. He wants to break and divide and conquer everything about your family. Now, with that in mind, I believe that as we read in Ephesians, it goes on and it talks about the armor of God. Now, a lot of us have heard sermons about this. But what I want to show you this morning in just a few minutes is that when we talk about the armor of God, so Paul says, here's the problem. We have a struggle. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and forces of darkness. But he says, this is how you come against it. You've been equipped by Christ to, to have victory over anything that comes against your life. And positionally, this is true, that when you say yes to Christ coming in your soul, that you positioned yourself for victory in whatever you face in life. See, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you're not fighting for your victory, you're fighting from your victory. Positionally, that's where you stand with Christ. However, there's also the practical side of this truth. There's a practical side of the armor of God that I want to talk to you about this morning that if you were to add it to how you're doing family, you're going to have the incredible family that you desire to have, and more importantly, that God desires you to have. So I'm going to give you from the armor of God the seven skills of an incredible family. That's right. Some of you went to the movie. You already saw it, but... uh, These guys back here, they're superheroes, and we want our families to be superheroes. But let me tell you the practical side of the armor of God and how you can infuse it into your own family to have that incredible family that God wants you to have. Number one is being honest. This is the belt of truth. The belt of truth in armor uh, talk, that holds up all the other pieces of armor. It's important. It's the most important piece of armor that you have. And we know the truth of Christ, but there's 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 a power behind you being truthful and honest with your family. A lot of us know families that have been broken apart because of dark secrets. And secrets are a toxicity to an incredible family. When you're doing things and your spouse doesn't know what you're doing or your, or your parents don't know what you're doing, that is a recipe for incredible harm for your life. And Jesus said, hey, whatever we do in secret will be eventually brought to light. So it's just better to live in a light because as you live in honesty, you live in an integrity that, that that way the devil can't get a hold of your life. It's much easier to bring destruction when you're living in darkness than you're, when you're living in light. And as much flack as the millennials get these days, how many have read something lately like, oh, all the problems of the world, they're millennials' fault, right? Here, let me tell you something nobody's telling you. The millennials are leading the cause of one thing, and that is honesty. I talk to people in their 20s all the time, and they're the most authentic and transparent generation that I have ever seen. They may not tell you what you want to hear, but at least they'll put it out there so you can have a conversation about it. And see, I grew up in a, in a generation, we weren't honest with each other. I grew up, my mom would, would tell white lies just to get out of conflict. And it's better to have an uncomfortable conversation than it is to just not be honest, not be transparent over a situation. You'll have some tough conversations, but just trust me, the more honest you are with your family, the better off you will be because honesty holds everything else in your family together. Number two is living rightly. This is the, this is the breastplate of righteousness. This is kind of what protects your heart. There was a, a video that went viral this week uh, starring uh, Chris Pratt. And some of you watched it on social media where he's at the MTV Video Awards and he was p- being presented with this award and he used it as, as this, this platform to coach young people about how they can live 
great lives. And, and he, he said a lot of good points, but I liked what he said. He said, you have a soul, be careful what you do with it. You have a soul, be careful what you do with it. And this is something not a lot of us think about, but there are consequences to decisions that we make. And when God says, I want you living righteously, what he's saying, I want you to do what is right. And right living paves the way for the devil to have nothing to grab hold of you on. This is, this is what, what um, the, the proverb in 423 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And Jesus, in John 14, verse 30, says, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Jesus was able to live without the devil ever getting a hold of him because he chose to do what was right. And when you choose to do what's wrong, some things start kind of coming undone in your life. And you start living, in, in a lot of ways, a double life. And that's the opposite of what integrity means. Integrity is wholeness. And when you're living a double life, you're living divided. And we, in, in other words, you're coming to church and you're one way, but you're at home, you're another way. And doing what's right is just saying, hey, how God says that I should live my life, I'm going to live my life like that. And then that's going to be my goal. I'm going to do what is right. And when you're doing what's wrong, two things I've seen happen. This is what happens. Number one is that we start getting real irritable with our lives because nothing will bother you more than having an internal conflict with yourself of knowing how you ought to be living but not living that way. It creates irritability. And a lot of you are irritable not because of something your family's doing. It's because a war that's going on inside of your souls because you're living inconsistently with the way that you know you ought to be living. And the other thing is isolation. Is when, you, when you're living wrongly, then the, the, because of the shame that you're carrying, going, I know I shouldn't be doing this, that shame pushes you away from the pack. And just like I learned on my safari, you never want to be the animal by itself when the pride of lions comes by. And so isolation is never a good thing in any capacity and disobedience tends to cultivate more isolation. Number three, if you're taking notes, is cultivating peace. This is shotting your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And positionally, we have peace because Christ went to the cross and he died so that we could be reconciled with God. So we have peace with God because of what Christ did for us. But check out what, what Jesus says in his most famous sermon in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. He says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Jesus said, you want to be like God, you want to have the DNA of God, then learn how to be a peacemaker. Because when you are cultivating peace, you are displaying the DNA of God. Because God is a peacemaker by nature. And we all get into these situations, like my conflict with my wife when I got back from Africa. There's a situation, there's a moment where you know, at this moment, I could either pour some gasoline on this fire... And really get it raging. You know, come on, somebody. You know, let's let's be honest. You even you even have the line already in your mind. You're like, mm, I just can't wait for you to finish the sentence because I got one. Oh man, it's gonna be it's gonna be five gallons of gasoline. Or you know, you have a moment that you could pour some water on it and just totally extinguish it. That's what being a peacemaker is. It's learning how to pour water on a conflict. 
that you know if you don't, it could become a raging inferno causing a lot of damage to your marriage, a lot of damage in your relationship with your parents or your relationship with your kids. A peacemaker is learning how to be a water carrier so when that conflict arises, you can pour out that water and say, I'm going to extinguish it. That doesn't mean you let people walk on you. It doesn't mean just, you, know, you, you just shut your mouth and not say something that's bothering you, but there's just a way of saying it. And, and there's, there's something to be said for counting to 10 before you speak. When you feel that, that anger raising up, it's not the moment to open your mouth. That's the moment to pray inside of your head so that that irritating thought bubble doesn't come out of your mouth and rage some some fuel on to an already burning fire. So that's cultivating peace. Number four is prioritizing faith. This is our shield of faith. This is an important part of of our our weaponry because this is blocking the, the way the enemy's coming after us. And the way the enemy's coming after our generation, it seems these days, is with discouragement and fear. We are living in an age of anxiety. People can't even go to sleep. And do you know that, that really anxiety, is a, is, for the most part, is a first world problem? I just went to a third world country and I talked to them about anxiety. They have nothing. And they're like, they don't know what I'm talking about. It is a first world condition and I don't understand it. I'm still trying to understand it. But let me tell you, faith is a remedy against fear. Can I say that one more time? Faith is a remedy against fear. But you gotta prioritize faith. Because in our culture, everything is, ab- is about like, you know, getting ahead in life. It's not putting faith in front of everything else. And I ran right up against this. My son plays club soccer. He's going to be a senior this year in high school. And, you know, when, and when he's playing club soccer, I mean, Sundays, it's just another day we can play two games, right? Uh, uh, practices, hey, Wednesday night when you go to Bible, say, hey, we got to practice till 9 o'clock. This boy, we've had him in soccer. He's really good at soccer. But we got to a point last year where even he said something and it really kind of caught me off guard because I was the pastor. I should be like building him up and encouraging him in faith. He said, Dad, I'm tired of missing Wednesday night church with my youth group because of soccer practice. And I said, why, why did that have to come from you? Why didn't that come from your pastor dad? You know, like... I'm like, you know what, son, I will talk to your coach for you because I agree with you. So I went and talked to the coach and I'm like, hey, Josiah, you know, he really wants to, to cultivate his faith more and, and, and prioritize it more. And so he's going to miss soccer practice on, on Wednesday. I hope you don't punish him. I hope, he, you know, he, he doesn't have to sit out. He goes, no, I encourage that, man. I, I, I'm proud of that kid. Matter of fact, I got two other kids in the soccer team. I wish he would take with him because they really need faith. And it turned around. I was like, wow. And so Josiah, he was, he was put into this position where he was being challenged. And I think all of us are, from our jobs to our hobbies to everything, it's pushing us away from faith when God says, make faith a big priority for your lives. Don't miss church. Get involved in small groups. Make your church community a part of a, a big part of who you are as a person because it's your church community that's going to rally around you and encourage you when the world is discouraging you. When you feel like giving up on your marriage, your church community is going to rally around you and pray for your marriage. They're going to counsel your marriage. They're going to build your marriage up. They're going to build your kids up. They're going to take care of your kids and let them do Bible camps. And it's going to be a great experience, not for you. And not just for your spouse, but for your entire family. Make church a priority. And I always say, get a Fantastic Four in your church community. Surround yourself with godly people. I have a diagram. I like to show it. And and, and all this diagram is, you find somebody that is a little bit ahead of you in their faith journey with God. 
and, and you invest in that relationship. Meet with them for coffee once a week. Find somebody that's a little bit younger in their faith and meet with them maybe once a month and, and encourage them in their faith. And then find two other people that are running at the same pace you are with their faith and pull them in and, and have text messages going on throughout the day with these guys. Because here's the, here's the issue here. That guy in the middle, he's going to be hard to get to because he's got four people he has to go through in order to get to that guy in the middle. You see what I'm saying? Prioritizing faith helps to stay in in, in a position of encouragement and it's harder to get at you. That's your shield of faith. And let me uh, move on here because we just got five minutes. Protecting your mind. This is a no-brainer. Romans 12, 2 says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is our helmet of salvation that we have to understand that if we don't put any guardrails or boundaries around the things that we're absorbing, because God has created our minds to be absorbers. So we're going to absorb whatever we put our minds around. And, And parents of young children, just please, please hear my heart that Every child that I've been seeing lately has a, an iPad or an iPhone and, and, and it's acting as a babysitter. And that's okay. But please make sure that you've done your part in filtering the things that they can and cannot see on that device. Because that device is connected to the World Wide Web. Which I think the latest stat I heard is 40% of websites are pornographic in nature. So it's not a matter of your kids searching for sex on maybe Google or whatever. It's a matter of those websites finding your kid. The average age of a young man seeing pornography for the first time has jumped from 11, 30 years ago, to I think nine, 10 years ago. Now it's seven. Seven years old, young boys are seeing pornography for the first time. You got you to gotta help protect them uh, for them because they don't know how to do that. And, uh, you know, honestly, if they say that all the other nine-year-olds at school have a smartphone, just tell them, hey, that's good for them, but not good for you. As for us in our house, you're not going to get a phone until you're 14 or 15 or whatever, right? You can do that. You, you are the parent. You don't, you're, you're not their friend. You're their parent. Can I hear an amen? You're their parent. Protect them. Number six, study and memorizing scripture. This is something that we cultivated in our family uh, when my kids were little. Now they're all grown. But we always had a time at the end of the day where I got this really cool Bible devotional book for kids. And there's some really good ones out there. And we would take time, five minutes, ten minutes, and we'd do a Bible story. My kids would act it out. And then we'd, we'd pray together. And then I'd always tell my kids, like, whoever comes on your heart, I want you to pray. I, I taught them how to pray in the spirit at a young age. And whoever comes to your mind, they would pray for family members. They would pray for friends at school. And I said, whoever pops in your mind, let's pray for them tonight. Well, I started cultivating that at a young age. You know, and, and this is something that, that you need to understand, that, that getting your kids in the, the Bible at a young age does something awesome. They, they love the Bible as they grow up because they're, they're used to it. And if you don't love studying the Bible, it's going to be hard for you to convince your kids to study the Bible. So invest in a Bible, a good study Bible that you're like, man, I love that. I love the life application study Bible because there's little notes there, helps you understand the text that you're reading. And they're expensive, you know, but, you know, we go to college and we'll drop 150 bucks on a textbook we're going to read for six weeks. But we don't want to spend $60 on a Bible that's going to help us for all eternity. 
So go and invest in a good Bible that makes you excited to read the word. Memorize scripture. One of the first things I did as a, as a fully surrendered child of God is I started memorizing verses because I knew that's how Jesus faced the enemy when he went up against the enemy. When Jesus was tempted, he quoted the word. So I started learning Bible verses. One of the biggest ones I memorized that changed my life was 1 John 4, verse 4. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I've used that to fight off the enemy in all kinds of ways when temptation came into my life life. And I'm telling you, it works. Number seven is praying for and with your family. Ephesians 5 or 6, 18 says, with all prayer, petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Make prayer a priority for your family. Husbands, lead a prayer over your wives. I know it could be awkward. Men, we don't tend to be emotional and we look at prayer as being this emotional, vulnerable position. But let me tell you, a family that prays together stays together. I really believe that with all my heart. And these are skills. I mean, any of us can do these things. It just takes intentionality. We, we've got to know we're in danger all the time. And as we put these skills into use, we're going to be an incredible family. We're going to be the kind of family, I love this quote. It says, be the kind of family that when your feet hit the ground in the morning, the devil says, oh, boop, they're up. (laughs) I wish they were in bed still, but no, we got to deal with them. That's the reality. And we can all be that kind of incredible family. It just takes us with the intention that we have an enemy that wants us to fail, but we have a God that has equipped us for victory. It's just a matter of how we're going to apply that. Let me pray. Father, I thank you, God, so much just for your word, God, and how you knew going into this that families are the best thing that you invented, but God, it's the best place for the enemy to cause havoc. And I know, God, as I close in prayer, that there are marriages that are seriously in trouble. God, there are families maybe that are just going through it right now. Maybe in relationship difficulty, maybe in health things, finances, God. But I pray, show us, God, that more than we desire to have an incredible family, God, you desire for us to have an incredible family. And you've equipped us with every weapon we would ever need from heaven to be the incredible family you want us to be. God, I pray a refreshment over Brave Church and over every family that's here. I pray reconciliation over families that haven't talked to each other in maybe months or years. I pray, God, for a a renewed love for spouses in this place of love that has grown cold. I pray, God, that you would release a new authority over the men, husbands, and fathers of this church to lead their families the way you desire to lead them, God. And I thank you in advance, Father, for everything you're going to do in our futures with not only us, but for our kids especially. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our hope that you will let this message go deep within your soul and allow Jesus to do the work that only he can do. We also want to encourage you to partner with us here at Brave. Go to brave.church and become a regular giver and be part of how God is using this message to help people find and follow Jesus.